Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 230 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. NBA season is back. It's actually a great time to be a sports fan right now with NBA season back, NHL back, NFL in full gear, college football playoff coming up. College basketball kicks off this week, and you can find everything you need to get in on the action over at Bet Online. Get everything at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport, anytime, whether it's wagering odds, the latest news, trends, predictions, updates, whatever you need. Bet Online has you covered. Head to the website, go to Bet Online today, and get in on the action. Use promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to get a 50% welcome on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. With that said, episode 230 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. You have to eat the dream. You have to sleep the dream. You have to dream the dream. You got to touch. You have to see it when nobody else sees it. You have to feel it when it's not tangible. You have to believe it when you cannot see it. You got to be possessed with the dream. The dream. Yeah. Any weapon formed against us shall not prosper. Young started with oozing noodles, now we eating lobster. Uh. As I walk through the valley with my ladder and flex, I'm the realest nigga that just happened to rap. When they all thought we was finished, they was laughing at that. So I went and brought me a dawn and flipped the head to the back. New drag, new whips on the way now. That's your on the way now. Mama told me if you fall, never stay down. Stand up. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 230 for the love of the game on the Bleed Podcast Network with yours truly. It's ATH. It's Aaron Tobias. We are back in the saddle. We are back behind the mic. And the Daniel Jones era for the New York Giants, I believe, has come to a conclusive close. Sunday was a disaster for Daniel Jones and the Giants. 30 to 6 loss against the Raiders. The loss, whatever, that's not a big deal. Did I back them in picks against the spread? Yes, because that was more anti Raiders than Giants. But in this loss, where Daniel Jones comes out and it looks like he cannot do anything right, he then tears his ACL. He was coming back after a neck injury, tears his ACL. He is done for the year. Tyrod Taylor is done for the year he's on ir he's most likely not going to play for the new york giants again so they were back to qb3 none other than tommy devito who had negative yardage against the jets well he threw for 175 yards and a touchdown on sunday but also two picks but that's not the point the point is daniel jones's season is over and it looks like the giants are going to be Really, really bad the rest of the year. Who knows who's going to be playing quarterback the rest of the year? It's probably going to be Tommy DeVito with a backup. Who knows? But the Giants are not going to win very many games the rest of the year, if at all. I know the schedule has gotten soft, but it's not soft for the Giants because the Giants are terrible. Beyond terrible, their quarterback situation is a disaster, and I think they're going to be in position to draft the Daniel Jones replacement. I know what the contract looks like next year. The Giants can get out of the contract. I'm not 100% sure what the dead money looks like if they cut him. But it's going to be a sunk cost. Hopefully the Giants are going to be in the top three in the draft already. That means you're going to have a chance 
Caleb Williams. You're going to have a chance at Drake May. And that's how you turn a franchise around. We've seen it with the Houston Texans. We'll get to them in a little bit. We've seen it multiple times. If you find your guy in the top five, that's how you turn your franchise around. That's how you completely change the outlook of the team. Now, did I think we were going to be here before the season started? No, I didn't. I thought the Giants were going to make the playoffs. I thought they were going to go 10 and 7. I thought Daniel Jones took enough of a leap in that playoff run. I thought he showed something, but it turns out it was a flash in the pan. I think if you gave Brian Dayball and Joe Shane truth serum, never really thought that Daniel Jones was the guy, but alas, last season happened. It was a surprise. It was good for the franchise to be in the playoffs, but now you start over again. Now you start over. And that's just the way it is for the New York Giants right now. That's the only thing that matters right now is their draft slot because they are not going to be winning a whole heck of a lot of games. As for the New York Jets, while we're recording on a late Monday afternoon, the Jets play Monday night football against the Chargers. The Jets are three-point underdogs. I like the Jets. It's unbelievable to me that the Jets are in the position that they're in, that they can even be in the mix for an NFC playoff spot, just a weird, weird season. And the Jets defense is good enough. So maybe, just maybe, they'll be able to do it. And they'll prove a lot of people wrong, myself included. Around the NFL, the big winner to me on Sunday was Cincinnati. Cincinnati took care of business at home against the Buffalo Bills. Sunday night football, 24 to 18. Joe Burrow, Looks like his old self. He's moving great in the pocket. He's able to scramble. He looks great. The defense is clicking. Somehow Buffalo stayed in it, but it's danger time for the Buffalo Bills. But yeah, my Super Bowl pick before the season started was the Cincinnati Bengals. They are rounding into form. They're doing that thing that they did last year. And I really think that they are probably the most complete team in the AFC all said and done. Eagles, Dallas, 28-23 Eagles at home. I know what the numbers say about the Cowboys offense. I know that the Eagles fumbled three times and didn't recover any of them. There's turnover luck. I get it. Dak Prescott, 374 yards, three TDs. I get all of it. I never, ever thought that the Eagles were going to lose that game. Ever. Not once. Not once. And that's because Dak Prescott's the quarterback. The numbers can look as good as they can look. And they were good on Sunday. But weird stuff happens with Dallas. Dak Prescott steps out of bounds on a two-point conversion, which completely alters how the end of the game goes. They're down inside the 10-yard line. A false start. A sack. Pushes them all the way back. C.D. Lamb comes up with a big catch, but he stops short of... The first down marker and actually the goal line because it didn't really matter with that much time left on the game clock. The game's over, 28-23 Eagles. This is what happens with the Dallas Cowboys. Weird stuff always happens to the Dallas Cowboys. And that's because Dak Prescott is their quarterback. I don't have faith that he is going to win a big game ever, ever in his tenure. You could say... That same argument over to the AFC with the Miami Dolphins. Kansas City beat the Miami Dolphins 21-14 in Germany, in Frankfurt. First thing you see in the morning, Kansas City's defense is awesome. I mean, Kansas City only had 
I think 47 total yards in the second half. I mean, they had under 70 yards for sure in the second half with a Patrick Mahomes led team. That's shocking. But Kansas City's defense is ferocious and they held Miami scoreless uh, in the first half. And they forced Miami to punt seven times. This is a, a high powered Miami offense that Tua didn't even reach 200 yards. Now they came back in the second half, had one good touchdown drive, put up 14 points quickly. They got the second touchdown drive off the turnover. But Miami seems to be that team, kind of like Dallas in the AFC, where they beat up on a lot of bad teams, and they're kind of front runners. And I'm a Tua believer. I think he's pretty good. I think he's very good, I should say. I like Josh McDaniel, but Josh McDaniel's got to figure something out when it's not going right to stop the bleeding. And he's got to figure out something against these really good teams. Now, do I think Miami's in danger to miss the playoffs? No, I think they're going to make the playoffs. But I'd like to see them beat a good team before the playoffs start. And they'll get their chance at the end of the season. They have, they still have the Bills. I mean, we'll see what happens with them. They're struggling right now. I'm not as off of Miami as most people are. I'm not calling them frauds. I still think they're a good football team, but I'd like to see them win one big game against a good team before the season closes. The Baltimore Ravens shellack the Seattle Seahawks 37 to three. Something still leaves me cold about Baltimore. Maybe it's just because I've seen Lamar Jackson not play great in big spots. Also talking about the Miami Dolphins, Lamar Jackson is the same, but they are beating up teams and their defense looks pretty ferocious right now. And the other big winner, it's mentioned Cincinnati, but the probably the biggest winner is C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans were thought to be one of the two or three worst teams in the league. C.J. Stroud, they had question marks. Ohio State quarterback coming into the year. Well, he was incredible on Sunday. I mean, he's been very good most of the year. He was incredible on Sunday. Set the rookie record for passing yards in a game. 470 yards, five TDs, throws the game-winning touchdown pass with seven seconds left, something crazy like that. I mean, he was he was incredible, absolutely incredible. Whenever Houston needed to drive, C.J. Stroud delivered. That's big-time stuff right there. I know they're playing Tampa Bay. who's while they start out three and one, but they've been scuffling. I, I don't care who it is. That's a rookie quarterback coming through in the clutch every single time, every single drive that they had to have at the end of the game. And yeah, Houston's kicker got hurt. So they were going for two, screwed up the point spread. I know it was significant to some, especially when they scored at the end. Shout out Shy Elberger, took an L against the spread on that one. But my goodness, CJ Stroud, my, my goodness. Anyway, switching over to the NBA, and we'll talk a little bit more about the NFL with a couple of guests later on in the show. But switching over to the NBA, got to start with the Knicks. The Knicks are two and four right now. They get James Harden and the Los Angeles Clippers. James Harden makes his debut tonight against the Knicks. I don't really care about that. I hate the way the Knicks are playing basketball right now. I absolutely can't stand it. The lack of ball movement, the lack of passes thrown. And yes, that includes Jalen Brunson. I know Brunson was great on Friday night and 45 points was super efficient. But still, there's a lot of tunnel vision out of Jalen Brunson. 
We can't have that. My guy Quentin Grimes stepped up, made a couple of threes. When he actually gets the ball in his hands, he can make plays. They just don't pass the ball enough. They don't throw enough passes. And that brings me to Julius Randle right now, who's averaging under 14 points a game, who's shooting 27% from the field, 23% from three. And not only does the play on the court suck, but his attitude sucks. Throwing his hands up in the air when he doesn't get the ball. I mean, there was a play at the end of the game against Milwaukee where he's not getting the ball. Brunson took a contested shot because he was about the only one making shots. I mean, Quentin Grimes made a couple of shots. Again, they don't pass him the ball enough. It's a major bane in my existence as a Knicks fan right now. But Randall's throwing his hands up in the air. Like, my man, you're five for fucking 20. Shut the hell up and get back on defense, all right? I've had enough with the Julius Randle thing. Julius Randle is the worst type of player in the NBA because he's going to put up the empty calorie stats eventually. Like, eventually he's going to have a couple of big games, and he's just good enough to make you not go anywhere as a franchise. He can't get off this team fast enough. He is the most detrimental player in the NBA. And his attitude is sour. I've been saying this for three years. Get this guy off my team. I know he had the one really great COVID year. And Tibbs has been indebted to him since. But enough is enough already. Leon Rose, enough is enough. Get him off the damn roster. I don't care that he made All-NBA last year. That was the most Fugazi All-NBA season anybody's ever had. Get him off my basketball team. Am I worried about the Knicks being a playoff team? No, because I think they're going to beat up on bad teams. But they're not going anywhere. They're going to be about a five or a six seed. I don't I don't see them being anything higher than that with Julius Randle being a major member of the New York Knicks. Around the league, just one quick thing. I know I talked about Victor Wimbanyama last week, and then all of a sudden after we spoke about it on the podcast, he has two monster games, the 38 points against the Suns. I, the guy's just incredible. He's absolutely incredible. And he doesn't even have his sea legs yet on offense. And he's clearly a top 20 player in the NBA. Already, right now, he's a top 20 player in the NBA. And I think you're going to struggle to name 20 guys better. But I was talking with some friends, and one of them happens to be super plugged in. He's connected with a couple of NBA players. And they were talking about how guys in the NBA think Wimbanyama is a top 10 player already. I know NBA players... When they haven't seen something before, they can be prone to hyperbole. So I think that's the case here. That doesn't diminish anything about Wimbanyama so far. I think he's sensational. But they also said that next year, or within two years, I should say, he's going to be the best player in the league. Again, I love the guy. I think he's going to be a top five player in the league in two years, maybe even next year. But Nikola Jokic is only 28 years old, and he'll be 30, and he's not slowing down. Giannis is only 28 years old. He's going to be 30. He's not slowing down. So let's pump the brakes a little bit, a little bit. With that said, the Spurs over is a lock because he's so good. He's not going to let them win less than 30 games. I said it in the Western Conference preview, and I will repeat it. You can lock that one up in Sharpie if he stays healthy, that they're going to hit their season over. One last thing before we get to our guests. Thoughts on the in-season tournament so far. Games started Friday night. Standard regular season games that go towards 
group play. A couple of things. I do like it that it's early in the year, that it tries to make the games have a little bit more juice. They are marketing the hell out of this thing. But the alternate jerseys are terrible. The courts are ugly. And I don't see the players caring enough, even though Steph Curry says, it's tourney Friday night or whatever the video said. And he was excited about it, running it onto the court. I don't see the players caring enough. I think this thing is going to have a shelf life and it won't be around in five years. That's my prediction. Anyway, with that said, we're going to bring on a guest to talk about the Daniel Jones situation and what's his future with the Giants. We're going to bring on a first-time guest, hopefully, to talk about Philly sports right now. They are in an interesting spot. We're going to get to them in just a matter of moments. So I have the pleasure of bringing on now a recurring guest to talk a little bit about the Giants and the Daniel Jones situation. An optimistic Giant fan to start the year. I was optimistic too. He's ultra optimistic. It's none other than Dr. Josh Shotskis. Josh, what's going on, man? How you doing? Okay. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Of course. So the Daniel Jones era seems to have come to a close. When you saw the news that he had a partially torn... Well, I think... Oh, so go ahead. I think that's still premature. I think that's still premature, and I'll tell you why, right? We're assuming they're going to lose the seven games remaining and finish, you know, two and 15. I don't know that that's necessarily true, right? So they could screw up and end up with a pick towards the bottom of the top 10, and instead of a pick towards the top of the top 10, and then that would lead to quarterback hell, um, right? So we all want them to, if they're going to finish top five, draft a quarterback and replace Daniel Jones. That's where all of our minds have gone. But it doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen. Um, so I don't know that we can declare this the end of the Daniel Jones era. It just makes for good copy right now for all of the, all of the press. But I think there's a long way to go between now and April. Okay, so let me let me ask you like a two-part question. I mean, realistically, if you go through their, their remaining schedule, how many games do you think they're going to win the rest of the year? That's number one. And number two is let's say they get like the sixth, seventh, eighth pick, right? And again, I'm not super well-versed on all the quarterback prospects, but – if there isn't a prospect worthy of the eighth pick, but I'm assuming there's going to be, you know, a prospect in the second round. You don't think they're going to draft a quarterback there? I mean, there's the way we think about it as fans. And really it's, I, I, here's the way I think about it. Joe Shane strikes me as somebody who's very process oriented. Agree or disagree? I would he say seems like yes. I, but I but I do think I do think I'm not sure he handled the the Jones contract situation correctly. Well, you right. So you and I disagreed on that because you you see it as a lot of money. I see it as the going rate for a middle of the road quarterback, which, by the way, I think was still the proper move. And again, if you look at what's going to happen now, if this is the end of the Daniel Jones era, he's going to eat eat a lot of money, possibly, unless he lets, let, let's say he drafts a quarterback. There is still a distinct possibility he's going to leave Daniel Jones on the roster next season as a lame duck placeholder while the new guy, you know, trains um, okay. and learns. 
and he'll be paying him $40 million to do that. And then he cuts him. And then the following year, he's just $22 million of dead cap, which is not a lot. It's the percentage wise is the same as Kenny Galladay's dead cap space this year um, in terms of percentage, right? Which is, is, that's the important number. It's not about the absolute number. It's about cap percentage. The Giants were careful to always structure that contract that his cap percentage was not large enough that it would hinder them doing other things. So whether they cut him next year or not, they still have a great deal of cap space. And that was purposefully done because they did not take up a large percentage of their cap. So I don't think for sure Daniel Jones is being cut. I think the idea of him being the quarterback that will be the next one to lead the Giants to, you know, relevance, that idea does not look like it's realistic at this time. Um, with a torn ACL and how this season went. And I will be the first to admit, I think I was dead wrong on him, right? I really thought he was going to progress in Kafka's and Dable's offense. And he didn't, even before he got hurt. You know, I don't think it's fair to just blame the offensive line. The offensive line sucked, but Tyrod Taylor did better than him behind that offensive line. He didn't take shots down. And I mentioned this point, you know, earlier, you know, on an earlier episode, but C.J. Stroud is a rookie in Houston. Houston doesn't have a tremendous amount around him, whether it's offensive line or skill position-wise. And look what he's doing. I'm in agreement with you 100%. I definitely think that Daniel Jones did not take the needed steps forward. I'm with you 100%. I will be the first to admit I was wrong. I thought he was going to. I mean, there was no reason to think he was not going to. He did so well in their offense last year. It was the first year he was going into – uh, you know, the same offense with the same coordinators and the same coach, um, you know, at the same time. And he had progressed so well last year. And to be honest, if you go back to the Cowboys game, like what if Andrew Thomas doesn't have that full start on third and two at what it was, like the, the, the eight yard line, you know, like the whole season seemed to change there. It's like the no, butterfly. I thought, I thought it was at the um I thought it was at the three yard line. Like they were legitimately like on the brink of scoring. It, I, it was I think we we, we might both it, it was somewhere around the five. Okay. So the point yeah. is is that and by the way if you go back and look at that play just as a side point, Lane Johnson has a full start every single play for the Eagles by leaving early. And Andrew Thomas did not do anything different on that play than Lane Johnson does. And they haven't called full start on Lane Johnson in literally three, four years. This is not Eagles hate. Lane Johnson somehow gets off the line earlier every play. The announcers have pointed it out. And for some reason, the officials let him go. And I don't understand it. But Andrew Thomas did the same thing on that play. And it literally changed the Giants' entire season at full start. Wild. Absolutely wild. That was legitimately the first quarter of the first game of the season. And now we're here. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to believe. Listen, I, I, unlike some of the people that you and I listen to on the radio, I will be the first one to admit I was wrong. I did not expect them to be this bad under Dable. I think some of his decisions have been poor. I think he's coached scared this year and I don't know that I can blame him. His offensive line has been horrible. And I think he was trying to protect, you know, Daniel Jones. And I think that that runs counter to the way he coached last year. And as a result, everybody took a step back. And hold, now I hold, hold that thought on Dable. Cause I want to bring him up in a second, but, but still on the Jones thing, obviously if they draft a quarterback in the draft, you know, the rookie salary for that quarterback, even if it's, you know, in the top five, if they're bad enough, 
or if it's in the you know late first round, early second round, is is going to be minimal enough where they can could they even cut Jones next year, or would they just have yeah, but- to wait a year and just keep him on the roster? No, they can cut him next year. I believe it would be a how, forty-five. Yeah, so, so if they wanted to do that, how arduous would it be against the cap? Because basically, that means you're throwing away next year, also. No, I don't think it's. I mean, I think it's the same thing. I think basically next year he costs what he costs, which is why I don't think they're going to cut him. I think he's going to either be the placeholder, or he's going to, you know, be recovering, and then he'll be the backup if they just hand the keys to the new guy. I don't think he's necessarily ready. For game one next year, I don't think they're going to for sure cut him. I could, I, I think they'll keep him, and if they find the right quarterback, they'll draft the right quarterback. I think that the decision is independent of him. I think if they end up cutting him or trading him, there's still 45 million of dead cap next year. Right. That's right. what I. Think. That's what I, I. But I don't think that. But again, it's not about the number because they still have like 50 million in cap space. So, again, it's all about percentage. That's the way they did it. That's why when everybody says, my God, we're paying him $40 million, $40 million is not a lot for a quarterback now. It is middle of the road, which is what he probably is. And he's going to end up on another team one day, and he's going to win games. He's not as bad as he's looked this year, and that's probably partially the offensive line and a little bit of bad luck. But he's also – he's not destined, to, looks like, to be one of those great quarterbacks, unless he has like a Trent Dilfer pathway where he ends up on exactly the right team and – you know, goes on a golden run one year, but I doubt that's going to be with the Giants at this point. I just can't envision a scenario where he's taking snaps for them again. I just can't at this point with the way it's looked with, with, you know, his, his recovery back with, with where they're going to be in the draft. I mean, it's the Andy Reid model with Patrick Mahomes. If he makes it back and his knee is functional, he'll be ahead of the rookie. He'll start. If he doesn't have a great start, they'll bring in the rookie, you know. Um, But again, that goes back to that Joe Shane thing. Like, you know, we're assuming he's going to get a quarterback. Let's say that that, you know, Joe Shane loves Caleb Williams and Drake May. But whoever ends up in one and two takes those two guys. It doesn't mean he's going to necessarily love Bo Nix or Michael Penix or um, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. You know, so he doesn't love them. This is probably their one shot, right? The Giants are not – I don't think there's a chance that they're firing Shane or Dable unless Dable – unless one of them melts down like Joe Judge did at the end of his tenure. Like, Mara didn't want to fire Judge. He fired Judge because Judge did stupid stuff at the end that it was self-destructive. But I don't okay, think so that, um, that that's actually a great segue because we brought, talked about Brian Dable. The first time I really questioned Dable was – and I know he's hamstrung – by the roster and the offensive line. I get all that, but the end of the Jets game, I think was a fireable offense. Now I'm not saying I would necessarily go that way, but not going for it on fourth and one after your kicker had already missed a field goal, the weather conditions being the way they were. And you know, that, that was kind of like the last gasp in terms of hope for the Giants, right? Because they're coming off the win against Washington, not going for it on fourth and one to try and win, I thought was was a fireball offense. And, you know, it was the first time I really questioned if he's, you know, capable. So I'm going to agree with you that I think he made the wrong decision. I'm going to disagree with you that it's a fireball offense. I think well, I don't. I don't think they want to fire him because I think 
I think the organization wants stability. Right? Yeah, but I don't think that's a fireball. Like, I don't think it was such a crazy decision to go for the field goal. I think it was the wrong one. I don't think it was smart. And in hindsight, that they put Gano on IR later that week, that really makes you question, like, what was he thinking? But I also don't think it was so outrageous that, that he should be fired. At the same time, I'm like, this is not the Brian Dable of last year that was like, let's go for it. Let's finish the game, right? Because if if you're down 10-7 – with 28 seconds left, but back from the 20, like how different is that being down 13-7, right? If, if they kick the field goal, the game wasn't over. You only kick the field goal if the game is over. Game's not over. The Jets can still win with a crazy fluke touchdown. So I don't know what he was accomplishing by kicking the field goal. His point was that, you know, they'd be, they'd be down six. They'd have to score a touchdown with 28 seconds left versus having to score a field goal with 28 seconds left. But one way finishes the game, one way still gives them a chance. I thought it was a stupid decision. I thought it was foolish. I'm hoping he learned from it for when their team matters again, because it was obvious to me as a fan what the right thing to do was. If you talk to Jets fans, they thought they were happy the Giants tried to kick the field goal because there was a stupid decision even before he kicked the field goal. I just don't think it was a fireable offense. I think it was dumb. If they, so the question, question, if they you know, what what do you think? If they finish three and fourteen, do you think do you think he survives? I'm thinking he survives because I think the Maras desire stability, right? I genuinely think that if Joe Judge agree, didn't do that, I would agree, but I just I, I at what point is just like you know? I, I mean, I at this point, flashbacks from like the Ben McAdoo thing, where you know, first year flash in the pan made uh you know made the playoffs and then all of a sudden it was uh a completely different different situation yeah i don't and i also don't think they're gonna hold against him what happens in the next few games right because they're on a third string quarterback that he doesn't even trust to throw the ball um so i don't think the games are gonna matter i think it's i think he should take a, a lesson of what McAdoo and Judge did with the media and with their reactions and with their sort of behavior in game and make sure that he doesn't embarrass the organization. Because I don't think I don't think that anything that happens in the games is going to get him fired. I also don't think it's the rest of the way now from a media standpoint that like fans are paying that much attention. Like the Giants are done, right? I mean, it's not just that they're losing, it's they're losing and they've lost two quarterbacks. Like who's really paying attention at this point anymore from a media standpoint besides the beat reporters and which fans are really going crazy on social media, like the season's done, right? So everything from now is just window dressing and experimenting. And if he just phrases it that way in, in the press that, you know, we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to put our best foot out there. We're going to do what we can. We're going to, we're going to take some swings. We're going to win some, we're going to lose some and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see where things stand and we're going to continue to build for next year. He's going to be here next year. I think if he does stupid stuff like judges thing at the end of uh, his, you know, of the season that got him fired where he completely just talked out of turn and the nonsense he did uh, where he knelt down inside the 10, like that's what got him fired. I don't think the Maras were going to fire. him. Right. Let me ask you a question. Um, after the Washington win, you looked at the schedule going forward. Did you have a faint bit of hope that it was just like, all right, the schedule gets a little bit easier now. We can maybe go yeah. on considering that I mean, NFC is kind of terrible outside the top three teams. I'll do you one better. When I left the Jet game, I was at the Jet game with my son when Kayvon sacked Zach Wilson. 
and I assumed the game was over. And I also, I always do the math in my head that even if they find a way to blow this in a historic way, I don't want to be there for it. So I left after Kayvon sacked. I did the math in my head and said, the Jets can't stop the clock if we don't get a first down. I don't want to be there to see it if somehow this turns into some sort of, you know, um, Joe Pisarczyk like game. And that's what ended up happening. By the time I got to my car, I was like, I can't believe that my worst case scenario actually happened there in field goal position um, to tie the game. But when I was leaving the stadium, I was telling my son, we're not good, Jonah. I still have no idea what we're going to do it, but we're at least alive where I can pay attention for the rest of the season. And maybe I'll take you to another couple games this year. That's what I was saying as I was literally walking through the parking lot to my car. Um, so yes, I thought, cause look at the schedule and besides the Cowboys, you could easily have seen them winning a couple of games and you still could, you need to tell me for sure that the Packers are going to beat them. You know, can't see Brian Dable out coaching LaFleur with. I can't Jordan see loves Tommy DeVito winning a game. No, I can't. If they right, lost to the Raiders that bad. I don't know that Tommy DeVito is going to be the quarterback for that well, long. Matt, Matt Barkley, Barkley doesn't make it any better. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but if, if the Packers are awful, I'm just saying, can they can they fall, fall into another win or two and finish three and fourteen or four and thirteen instead of two and fifteen? My answer is yes, and the difference between those might be the third getting like you know the second, third, or fourth pick versus getting like the seventh or eighth because the Giants have a very strong strength of schedule, which we know that Dallas and Philly are going to prop that up, and that strength of schedule is going to make them the lower team in a tiebreaker situation because it goes by strength of schedule in the, in the, in the draft order and the giants have a very strong strength of schedule. They played bad, They played good teams. So they're going to lose every, almost every tiebreaker. And that could be how they end up with like the eighth or ninth pick. And now you're asking is Joe Shane ready to mortgage his entire future to get up to the first or second pick. Right. Um, Which I'm not, so, not necessarily sure he is. And and quite honestly, well, what I'm, like, what I'm hearing, I'm not he sure anybody who holds the first or second pick are going to be willing to even listen to offers. Right. It depends how people evaluate Caleb Williams and Drake May, right? Those are the two clear consensus guys that are probably going one and two, despite all the media back and forth. Those are the two guys with the extreme talent. And... One of them's going one, one of them's going two. And now it's just a matter of who's going to get them. That's all. I think if the Giants evaluate them at that level, Giants will go for it. And then it's going to be if they don't get one of those two, does Joe Shane, right? Because you don't usually get to pick more than one quarterback from the draft. This is his swing. If he doesn't love any of the other quarterbacks, does he take a swing with one of them and say that I'm going to stake my career and my GM tenure on this guy? Well, I don't. I don't think he would do that with somebody if they were in the top five. Like, I think he would wait for somebody on day two. Um, I was actually about to ask you if they don't get a top three pick, right? And and you know the Bears are in an interesting spot because they have Carolina's pick, and Carolina is like in the running for for the uh, the worst record in the league. So if the Bears get one and two, they're they're going to take one and not the other. So maybe like you know, the third or fourth team can get in the mix. Well, you assume that, but that doesn't I mean, first of all, Arizona's still there. So Arizona would, for the Giants to get, I mean, I guess Kyler's back. You could, there's a scenario where you could see them winning a couple games with Kyler. Um, 
I, the McMurray changes the way you think about Cardinals now. So I'd love to see the Cardinals win a couple games. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, and you don't know how the Bears evaluate Justin Fields, right? If the Bears, if the Bears uh, uh, really still think Justin Fields is the guy, then maybe they don't draft either of them. Uh, but but the point is, is that Penix and Knicks and McCarthy are generally seen as top 10, top 15 prospects. All five of those guys, when you include Williams and Drake May, according to most mock drafts at this point, all five of those guys are top 15 picks. So it's just going to be a matter of if he doesn't get Williams or May, does he think one of the others is worth staking his you know, his career on, right? Because they're top, they're top 15 picks now on the mock drafts, but once they go through the whole process, are they still going to be seen the same way? I don't think Bo Nix and Michael Penix were necessarily seen as this level of prospect coming in. They were seen as potentially this level of prospect, but what they've done this year is raised them as much. I don't watch college football the way a lot of the draft analysts do, but I was watching them. They've been good this year. I, I, you know, I watch some film on them now that the Giants are bad. I watch some stuff. They look like they're good players, but I mean, I don't know. We're not evaluating them to the same degree that Joe Shane is. So if there was one position, assuming they can't get, you know, Caleb Williams or Drake May, and they went another position at the top of the draft. And again, I, I'm not like a, a draftnik, draftnik expert, but. I personally don't want them taking any more offensive linemen. I would rather them pay offensive linemen in free agency because I think it's clear that they have a major problem when it comes to drafting offensive linemen. Is there a position where you would, and obviously it depends on the prospect, but like, would you prefer a Marvin Harrison Jr. at wide receiver, or would you prefer like the top, you know, defensive prospect? Like, like, which way would you go if they couldn't? Get? So let me give. So let me give you, because um, I do follow the draft sort of early on. I follow the draft guys, you know. So a lot can change between now and and you know draft season. But really, if if you look at most projections for the first round for this year, there's going to be a lot of tackles and wide receivers, offensive tackles. It is not a at the top draft, strong in defensive prospects. It is very strong in those three positions, quarterback, wide receiver, and tackle. That's where it's top heavy. And I would say there's going to be a lot of receivers, I think, drafted in the first round. There's going to be a lot of tackles drafted in the first round um, based on how most early rankings go. Mm -hmm. My opinion is Marvin Harrison looks like a difference-making type of wide receiver. Otherwise, I still believe you win in the trenches. I think Evan Neal, at this point after two years, has shown he probably should be shifted to guard, and I would have no problem with them taking another tackle high in the draft um, if that's what it came to, um, with Marvin Harrison being the exception. But you're going to see, I think, come draft season, that a lot of the top 20 is going to be quarterback, wide receiver, and offensive tackle. There are a few elite prospects mixed in in other positions but that's most of what the top 20 is going to be top 25 so it's, get ready for that it's going to be i don't want to say interesting because they're they're really not watchable but obviously we are you know all holding our our breath to see how many games they win just just for you know draft order 
purposes because the quickest way to change your franchise's fortunes is to get a, a franchise quarterback. And the roster's not barren. They do have like Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence, Andrew Thomas, McKinney, Saquon. They have guys like Banks looks like a really good find for them in cornerback at a premium position. So it's not like the cupboard is bare. It's just. It's, yeah, just it's, it's a little mystifying what happened this season, honestly. And honestly, I think the answer is some of Daniel Jones's decisions in those early games and then the breakdown of the offensive line, which began with Andrew Thomas getting hurt in game one. I really think that, I mean, it was just sort of a spiral. And, you know, when we talked before the season, we talked about how there's prob- they're probably due for some regression because, we, you know, there's about five to ten plays in a football game that dictate who wins and who loses. And right, I thought we didn't that think Brian- this kind of regression, like, and in and in a sense, no. this kind of regression's better. But yeah, no, I, again, I didn't think Brian Dable was capable of making of having so many decisions backfire on him. I didn't think Daniel Jones was not going to take any steps forward. I thought he would at least hold where he was. Um, I, I honestly think the Andrew Thomas injury made them coach and made them play differently right from the start and changed the entire trajectory of the season. And I think that that was a mistake. I'm hoping he learns from it, right? Because we see how quarterbacks that aren't NFL quarterbacks are still able to accomplish things with Barron offensive line where the, the, the coaches just say, Joe, go take your shot and play. And I don't think they let Daniel Jones play. And I also don't think Daniel Jones played. I don't think he took shots. There are plenty of times that he had men and he didn't, you know, men open and he didn't make the throws. So I listen, I was dead wrong. I think both the coach and the quarterback regressed and that's it. And that's why the season is what the season is. Let me ask you one last question and I'll let you go on this. Obviously there was, Noise about Saquon Barkley before the trade deadline, a little bit of noise uh, that he may be moved in the right deal, right? We obviously saw the contract negotiations this previous summer, franchise tag. We've seen I, that he's clearly the best player on this on this team's offense. Like, it's not even a question. Uh, and when he plays, they're generally pretty good. And when he doesn't play... They're not very good. We've seen that clearly Daniel Jones cannot be a franchise elevator. Obviously, he ha- they have a decision to make. How do you think that negotiation is going to go this summer? Where do you see that uh, situation unfolding? I should say, how do you see it unfolding? I honestly find the whole Saquon Barkley thing to be very odd, right? Saquon should not have signed the deal that he signed. The manner in which he ended up signing it made no sense fact that he didn't take more guaranteed money up front when the Giants were making an offer, even if he didn't like it, and then signed a few days later for basically a one-year deal and got almost nothing for doing that makes no sense. Uh, The fact that the Giants shut down the idea of trading him a week and a half before the trade deadline makes no sense. So I think the question that we have to ask as fans is how much of that is just John Mara says this man is a giant and I'm going to treat him as such. And I'm going to, we're going to not make poor financial decisions, but we're also not going to just discard him. Like he's just any other player. And how much of this is that these the two sides reach some sort of verbal agreement, which basically said, as long as he doesn't 
blow out his knee. We will revisit these negotiations next year. We'll find a way to keep him here. We're not going to go to the number you want, but we're also going to treat him better than he probably should be treated as a running back going into his seventh season. Um, because nothing has made sense in the way things have happened. And I think that the media has let that go because Saquon is a good guy. Um, and I think also that Joe Shane and Brian Table have handled it well, not talking about it and shutting down very quickly the idea of trading him. I don't think at any point the Giants consider trading him. They were very clear. We are not trading him. And this was not like a Dave Gettleman. We are not trading him. This was, we are not trading him. Um, like I have, I, I have a hard time believing like McCaffrey got what, what they got for the 49ers. Like if the Giants got offered two second round draft picks, were they really not trading him? If he got offered a first round draft pick by Baltimore to get a late first rounder, were they not trading him? So I, I guess maybe his market was what his market was because of the high ankle sprain. And, and that's why it was never an option. Um, you know, I think he's going to sure I think he's going to get a long-term extension personally. Uh, honestly, the I think he's going to get a three-year deal after this. They're going to they're going to roll with a rookie quarterback, and then when Jones's numbers off, they're going to start again. The tea leaves would seem to suggest that, right? So, the, the way they have behaved suggests that they plan to re-sign him, um, and so I I would tend to agree with you, and I don't think it's going to be a monster money because again this is not monster money like 11 million dollars sounds like a lot as a percentage of the salary cap it's pennies for a real difference maker on offense so if they can get him to sign i think they're comfortable with saying that he's one of our team leaders beyond being a running back he is like the guy in the locker room and so we're going to keep him around because mr mara likes him and all our players like like him and he is the face because otherwise none of this makes sense because they have done just fine losing most seasons he's played for them with or without him. So if you can get value, you should have, but we look at it as an asset management. They're looking at it as the human beings. There's the human element. And so um, I tend to agree with you because everything that they're doing suggests that they still want to keep him around. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think he's going to be around. I, and I think they're going to draft a quarterback at some point within the first two rounds and that's how it's going to go. But let's just hope for hope for losses at this point. It's my pleasure. I'll finish with one thought for you. You just yeah. said that we hope for, we hope for losses. I am such an irrational fan that I'd rather not watch the game because if I watch the games, I cannot help but root for them. And every part of my mind knows that I should be rooting for them to lose. So I like the Raiders game. I didn't watch it because if I watch it, I just root for the Giants. It is not logical. It doesn't make sense. It will bother me if the if they do frustrating things, and I will still behave in an irrational manner. So, in our in my head, yes, we should be rooting for them to go two and fifteen. I'm not going to watch them the rest of the season because I cannot help. Oh, neither for the neither am I. Neither am I. I you know, uh, Big Cat on part of my take said it. it's like once the game kicks off, I'm obviously rooting for the Bears. But after the first 10 minutes, it's back to, uh, you know, draft status and tankathon. Correct. That's exactly right. He's got it exactly right. So I would rather not watch the game. So I will not be using any more of my tickets this year. I'm not going to the games anymore. Uh, and, and I will not be watching the Giants on television. It's too painful. Well, good luck selling, 
you know, whatever games you have left. Uh, I, I, I wish you a tremendous amount of luck. And uh, yeah. thanks again for hopping on for a couple of minutes. And uh, we'll speak soon. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. So I have the pleasure of welcoming on a very special first time guest. We are running the Great Neck Triangle. He's a Philly sports guy. Philly is very interesting in the world of sports. Mike Rudick is uh, on for the first time. What's up, bud? How you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. It's uh, We've been talking about this for a while. And, you know, Philly is going through a sports moment right now. So if you had to characterize Philly sports and kind of rank the teams in terms of the importance to the city right now, where would you rank them? Because they've all had various, you know, degrees of success. Obviously, the Flyers, not so much as, you know, the Sixers, the Eagles, and and the Phillies. But how do you think they rate in terms of importance to the city? Well, so the Eagles are always number one. It's the Eagles above always, all. Always, regardless, the- right? Always, always. It's always Eagles. Philly's a football town. It always will be a football town. So they're at the top. I would say ordinarily you would look to basketball as the second most popular sport. You would think that the Sixers would be too, but I think that just because of the run in the last couple of years for the Phils and how special they've been going to the world series and then falling just short this year, uh, they're probably at two right now. I think the Sixers, once the basketball season gets going, if they keep playing like they're playing right now, looking like the best team in the NBA, maybe they take over too, but for the moment they're at three and then you get the fires in the basement where they should be. Yeah, well, you know, the Sixers just won a big game tonight against the the Boston Celtics, the vaunted Boston Celtics that I've been told is like the greatest team since sliced bread. But it's very, very nice. We'll talk about the Sixers because obviously I'm a James Harden hater. They shipped his ass out. I assumed that the Sixers were going to be better. It's probably worse for my next. We'll get into them. Well, I want to start with the Eagles for a second. For sure. Eight and one. A nice win against the uh, the Dallas Cowboys, even though, you know, Dallas outgained them, you know, yardage-wise. Dak Prescott put up, you know, th- over 370 yards passing, but I never thought that that game was really in doubt. Did you – were you nervous at all? I think the end of that game took at least a year off my life. I, I'm, really? I'm always nervous. I'm always nervous, um, especially with the Eagles because – if you follow the Eagles or you follow just their history in general, they, they always make you sweat it out. They never, they never give you an easy, comfortable win. It's always tight. You know, you get these games like last week, uh, not this past week, but the week before against Washington where you go down, you know, a couple scores and you're fighting from behind. You got to score four touchdowns to, to come out with a win against the, the commanders. They make you sweat out everything. So, you know, Going against Dallas, obviously that's a huge game. It's a huge game in the standings because uh, I think the percentages were if they win that game, they got a 60% chance or something like that to to end the season with the bye. And if they lose it, then, you know, their chances of winning the division are, are even slim. So um, it, it was a really important game. And the Eagles just have the clutch gene because they go down a score early and they can get outgained, but, at the end of the day, you got Jalen Hurts and, and the guy's clutch and he's a winner. And, you know, he came through when it counted and when they needed it. And the defense, you know, it was bend but don't break. And they got it done. Philly was so dominant last year in the regular season. And I know they're 8-1 and one right now. But it just 
it hasn't seemed as crisp. It hasn't seemed as as sharper or even as dominant, even though the record may not have been as good as last year. What do you think that is? Because I, I, I'm getting the sense that Eagles fans, while they're excited to be eight and one, but it's just like, well, last year was like really something. And this year it's missing something. Am I, am I reading the room correctly a little bit? I think yes. And from what I've been reading on Twitter and I've kind of been bringing myself to terms with as well, because I think the tendency is you see this team, they made it to the Super Bowl last year. You know that they're great. You know that they're talented. They add pieces left and right that are, that are big pieces. And, you know, the expectations are so high that I think to a certain extent they're held to an impossible standard. We're holding them up to be this team that they need to show us that they're the most unbeatable super bound super bowl bound team in the league and if they play close games it doesn't matter if they win every single week we find ways to pick them apart we find ways to find fault and to a certain extent i think it's unfair i think that they're a team that goes out there every week they win every week even when they're doubted and uh and they fight the jalen hurts thing is interesting because before last year going back to the playoff game against Tampa Bay that did not go well. I think Philly was nervous that we'll see what we have here. And then who knows? Like we, it can go either way. Obviously last year he had a sensational year was an MVP candidate leads them to the Super Bowl, has a monster Super Bowl. this year. It hasn't looked as good. Um, but, you know, but still, 8 and one's 8-1. and one. So where are you with Jalen Hurts right now? Like, are, are you a little bit nervous about him long-term considering what he's going to be paid, what the contract extension was? Or are you completely like, this is our dude, ride or die, he's a franchise elevator? Zero doubt. Zero doubt. Zero I mean, doubt. Zero doubt. Absolutely zero. The guys out there, once again, getting picked apart by everyone in the media – you know, finding fault with him whatever way you can. He's out there playing hurt, clearly hurt. I mean, when he fell to his knees in that Cowboys game, you know, everybody in the media said this guy's done. He's really injured, whatever the case may be. Next series, he's out there scrambling for first downs. He's he's a fighter. He's gritty. He's a natural leader. And and the results speak for themselves. The, uh, the couple of hits that he took on his knee on Sunday – like, normally you would think that guy's out for the year. Like, you know, kneecap shattered or something. Like, it was incredible to see him, you know, gut through that game. And yeah, I'm a Giants fan. My, my season's long over. But right. I just I, – I never thought that he was like – and again, it, it, it's hard to say because I, I think we're in this weird spot in the NFL right now where it's like Patrick Mahomes – and then it's like Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. And then it's kind of like another tier below them. And you can make a case for Jalen Hurts being at that spot. You can make a case for Lamar Jackson being in that spot. You can make a case for Tua. You can make a case for a lot of guys. And it, I, I just think with the way the quarterback position is in maybe over-scrutinized a little bit and sometimes overpaid in terms of percentage of salary cap, it almost put these these guys in an impossible spot. And it's weird because, you know, they don't practice as much before the season. They don't play in preseason. So it kind of takes a while for these guys to get in rhythm for the most part. And 
it's just, I think the NFL is in a weird spot right now. And I think quarterback play has suffered a little bit because I think offensive line play hasn't been as good. But then again, the Eagles have like the best offensive line in the league. And, and it's one of the reasons, you know, it's a major reason why Jalen Hurts has a leg up. Yeah. I mean, look, those, those five guys you named, those are, in my opinion, I agree with you. I think quarterback play throughout the league has dropped off tremendously. I think those are just about the only five guys in the NFL that I'd want quarterbacking my team. I'd trade just about anything for any of those five guys. I don't care what order you put them in. You know, you got Burrow, you got Mahomes, you got Hurts, you got Lamar, and then throw in, you know, a guy or two here or there, depending on your preference. Aside from those, you know, handful of guys, I have no faith in any of these quarterbacks for the most part. Watching the NFL this year, it, it's been – it's just been a weird, ugly, you know, viewing experience. Like, I'm not sure that there are any like really good teams. Like last year we saw some dominance. I don't think we've seen the same level of dominance by anybody this year, including the Eagles and the Chiefs, who are probably two of the four best teams. You know, San Francisco, when they were all right, looked great, but they haven't been right in a while. So the NFL is interesting. And I, and I think it's like the Eagles are in prime position to get a number one seed and get there again. And, you know, well, they are, except they got like the toughest six game stretch in NFL history coming up too. So they got, right. they come off the bye. They got Kansas city. They got Buffalo. They got San Francisco and they got Dallas again. Um, they got Seattle in there too. And it's, and if you're counting the Cowboys game from last week, I mean, that's six games. That's an impossible stretch. So I think that'll tell a lot about where this team is. So you know, over that six, over that six games, if you go three and three, how are you feeling? Look, I'd, I'd prefer to be at least four and two, but I think if you survive it at three and three and you look at the rest of the schedule that's left, you're going to have two against the Giants. You're going to have another against the Commanders, I believe. Um, you know, you got you got some cake matchups in there. So I think if you leave three and three, you know, you're not feeling amazing, but you, you can end the season with four losses at that point. You'll take it um, and you'll hope that it's enough to get the bye. I don't know that it will be. Depends who you get the wins against. I think that this game coming off the bye right now against Kansas City is a big one in terms of barometer. And obviously the huge one is San Francisco. I mean, that's an enormous game. San Fran, you, you give them their third loss. If you beat them, you know, you're in a, you're in a good spot. So um, it, it's a big stretch. We'll see how they do. They're coming off the bye, you know, heading into the next game. So hopefully there'll be, uh, there'll be some time in there for Jalen to get healthy and to get right and, uh, and put them in position to uh, go through at a four and two or a five and one instead. Yeah, said unbelievable. Yeah, it, as long as you don't bring back the dog masks, I don't really care. I, I, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Not a fan of those. Not a fan of those. So I want to switch gears to the Phillies. Uh, the Phillies are probably the most likable team, even though I'm a Joel Embiid guy. The Phillies are probably the most likable team of all the Phillies teams, and Bryce Harper to me is like the epitome of of Philly in, you know, he, he's a little bit of a dirt bag, but a lovable dirt bag, right? Like he gets on right. the skin, he's an agitator, but the guy plays hard all the time. He's awesome. Like what, what is Bryce Harper meant to the city of Philadelphia? Bryce Harper, like he embodies the city and everything he says, he says the right things. You listen to his post-game interviews. It's, you know, I chose Philly. I wanted to be here. I love the city. You know, uh, these people are hard work and they're passionate. So, they they kind of speak to his character too. I mean, he's passionate, he's hardworking, he's gritty, he's he's clutch, uh, you know, above all else. I mean, he's already 
he hasn't even won a World Series yet, and he's probably on the Phillies' Mount Rushmore, at least arguably. I mean, the guy is as clutch as they come, except for that last series this past uh, offseason or this past postseason. But, um, it, you know, the run he had last year was just insane, and that was coming off the torn UCL. Um, the guy was just bananas. He couldn't even play in the field, but the impact he had was just insane. Um, and and he's selfless too. Uh, it came out today. They're saying that the they announced uh, the GM announced he's going to switch to first place. I just saw that. Yeah. So then the reason, obviously, that everyone's jumping to is that they're saying now the Phillies are going to trade for Mike Trout. We'll see if that materializes. It means the end of Reese Hoskins at first base, which is kind of sad, but. It shows that he's selfless. They said, what do you want to do? And he says, wherever you want to put me, wherever puts us in the best position to go out, make moves in the offseason, come back and compete again, I'm willing to do. And he's made the sacrifice. He's become a good first baseman. I don't want to say he's great yet. I, I don't think the sample size is big enough. But he's a quality first baseman. And, and just his game speaks for itself. When Trey Turner, who had a rocky start to his Phillies tenure, but turned it around a little bit in the second half, and Bryce Harper were due up to hit back to back. What what were your thoughts? Like, where did you have confidence that they were going to come through, especially after last season's run to the World Series? Like, you couldn't have imagined that the season was going to end the way it did. I mean, look, I was confident that that last game, you know, by the time that last game came around, I was a little bit shook. They already blew the one that they should have won in Arizona. You know, the series you thought could have been over multiple times. And then obviously you lose the game six. You go to the game seven. So you're already, you know, nervous going into a game seven, even if it's at home. And by the time that that last inning came around and you're down, you know, you can't help but be pessimistic a little bit. Um, obviously, there's not two other guys on your team that you want up in that spot. Um, but, you know, it fell out how it did. It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be for Arizona either. Um, you know, only one team can win it. So. It was disappointing because, you know, for the first time they were really the favorites. You know, everybody thought they were going to, you know, the way they were hitting, they were going to roll through Arizona. They were going to go. They were going to get, you know, get lucky and not have to face Houston again and, you know, make their real run at it. But it, it didn't happen. It wasn't in the card. So you run it back next year, you see what happens. The Sixers. Season just got started. James Harden obviously got traded. He got his wish. He's a Clipper. The Clippers don't look like they're any better. Um, Philadelphia is off to a great start. They beat Boston tonight. What would you like to say to James Harden if you're just uh, sending him some parting thoughts? Um, so you and I have had this conversation a little bit. I think you know where I fall. I fall somewhat different from where you fall. Um, I was a huge, just for a little bit of context, a huge James Harden guy before the trade. So when they Why? made the trade, justify I, Why? I just, I just, I like his game offensively. It's just he's a fun player to watch. He gets buckets. He obviously had a little bit of a different role in Philly, so you kind of had to, you know, see that change materialize. But when they made that trade, I'll never forget it. I was on vacation. I, I was beyond pumped. You know, I got my two favorite players coming together to play on the same team in Joel and uh, and Harden, and. At the end of the day, it didn't end the way that myself or any other Sixers fan really wanted it to end. We had higher expectations. Um, but I don't look at it as all bad. I, I know everybody wants to say, ha-ha, and, you know, it didn't work. But Simmons obviously wasn't working. He's still not working. You get right. James Harden, and 
you know, he shows his true colors and forces his way out, you know, be, because of, you know, I guess, supposedly what's happening with Maury and him uh, behind the scenes. Um, I think there's a lot of context that might come out down the road about that. But in any event, he shows his true colors. But at the end of the day, again, he gave a year of himself to the Sixers. They had a good season. And I think most importantly, he was a big time mentor to Tyrese Maxey who's now blossoming before our eyes. The guy's a, a stud. He's a superstar in the making. And if you ask Maxie, I've read interviews with Maxie, he attributes a lot of his success to Harden. Harden was brought in there to be a mentor to him, hopefully not in attitude, but just in, in the way or, he played. Or in playoff performance when it, when it really matters. True, of course. But that, and that's, that's Philly, too. I think that's the reputation that, we should, that we're starting to get, right? We, we lost the Super Bowl. We lost the World Series. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to to <laughs> but you know, Philly's run here. But so I attribute some of Maxie's success, and he's taken another step this year. And I, I attribute some of that to James. So I think that it's good from that perspective. So that's that's number one. Number two is I think the haul you got for Harden um, is a good haul. You got two ones, two twos, a pick swap. You got a whole bunch of role players who were showing out early on. Batum, it looks like busted his finger up today so i don't know what the extent of that's going to be but you got batum you got morris you got kj martin um you got roco who started the process with the sixers and now is back with the sixers again and he's second all-time leading three-point shooter i think for the sixers and might break it now that he's back but that's just an aside so you got some nice pieces they're all expirings and the sixers right now what they're six and one their only loss coming to the Bucks on opening night in Milwaukee, a game they should have won. They got a blown call at the end of the game against them. They cost them the game. So they should be 7-0. They're arguably the best team in basketball right now. And they got the right pieces. They brought in Kelly Oubre. And all those contracts are coming off at the end of the year. They're going to have the second most salary cap space going into next season. And they're going to have their pick of the litter in terms of free agents. That's if they don't make a move this year. So they're in prime spot right now. Um and so I think it all worked out, hopefully. I mean, time will tell. Well, you know, I'm a James Harden hater. I think the guy is a cancer to the locker room. I said it on the Eastern Conference preview I did. I said, if he's gone, I think the Philadelphia 76ers are going to be better. I think it's addition by subtraction. Maxi is talented enough. I mean, his three-point shooting is fantastic, and he's doing other things off the bounce right now that he's given the opportunity. And, you know, you get a guy, a bad apple like that out of your locker room and you just surround him with solid dudes. And if you have, if Maxi takes a leap, which it looks like he does, all of a sudden you get off to a hot start and all the noise about Joel Embiid potentially being the next guy to want out to, you know, my New York Knicks who have this stockpile of stuff ready to offer that noise goes away real, real quick. Do you want to hear the funny thing? Because we had this conversation too last week, which you just mentioned. Who do you think I want now, ironically? Jalen Bronson. I'm going to flip the tables on you. I want the Knicks to torpedo. They're winning right now. I'm rooting for a Knicks flop. That's not happening. That's I'm not happening only because, A, come we have all Brunson. the Nova boys except for Mikel Bridges and B. And B, Brunson's on a really, really, really good contract. That is okay. such a such a steal 
that he's not going anywhere. And I think the Knicks fans would burn down Madison Square Garden. <laughs> um, so we just talked about Joel Embiid. What his relationship with the city? Describe it because I think it's it's a little unique in a sense that his Sixers tenure has been a whirlwind. Let's just put it that way. Like there has been some ups and downs. He's seen some real bad. He saw Ben Simmons' meltdown. He saw Jimmy Butler get passed over for Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. Like, but he stuck with it through and through. He was the MVP last year. He campaigned for it hard. His general manager really campaigned for it hard. What does he mean to Philadelphia? First of all, he had to campaign for it hard because he should have won it at least one of the two years before that too and and just got overlooked because everybody's infatuated with the defenseless Nikola Jokic. But in any event, um, he got it. He got his flowers finally like he should have. Um but he's look, he's a he's a trooper. He brings some of it on himself, though, I will say. If you follow his Twitter account, you he's know, he calls himself the troll. He calls himself the troll. And he'll take shots. Whenever things get ugly, he'll he'll put out cryptic tweets like I- insinuating that he's gonna leave or that he's open to leaving and the city wants to, you know, burn it down and, and ship him out. But then the next week you can't help but fall in love with him because his game is so good. He's such a character. And I think at the at the end of the day, you look and you say, this guy's been through, like you said, such a tumultuous time on multiple occasions, and he always sticks it out. And he always is the the focal point. He's willing to stay. Um, so as long as that remains the case, I think the city's going to love him. Um, I think that if the wheels had fallen off, like you said, at the beginning of this season – those those rumors that you're already starting to hear might have grown too loud for even him to resist. I'm glad that hasn't been the case. Um, and I think, like I've said earlier, I think if they get through this season, um, which I think they will, I think Nick Nurse is a, is a really good coach and he's a good fit. And I think if they get through this year, they don't have to win the championship. I think if they just have a solid season, they make whatever the second round of the playoffs. And, and then, you know, on the horizon, you're getting one of these top free agents, whether it be, Kawhi, Clay Thompson, Pascal Siakam, uh, Mitchell, any of these guys, you're getting reinforcements coming in and he knows that and he'll be willing to stay on at that point. So I think this season getting off to this hot start, it can't be, uh, it can't be underemphasized. It's, it's a huge deal. The Sixers have kind of crapped the bed in the second round. They haven't gotten past the second round in the Joel Embiid tenure. Uh, obviously, the year they got the closest was the double bounce, uh, the Jimmy yeah. Butler year in Toronto. That was that was. We don't bad. talk about they were, that. They were up, <laughs> they were up 3-1 in that series, I believe. They were up, uh, you know, three games to two in Boston last year. Like, and as much as I dump on Harden in his playoff uh, history, you know, Joel Embiid's playoff history has not been great either. So. Why doesn't Embiid kind of get it from the Philly fans, it seems like, like the other guys have? I think he does. I think he got it pretty hard at the, at the end of that Celtics series last year. That was bad. That game seven was embarrassing. And and from what I saw, at least, he got a lot. Um, you know, it looked like he was timid. It looked like he didn't want to take over the games. I think part of it is just in the playoffs. The refs swallow the whistles a little bit more. You're able to take uh, take some more 
shots at him than you are in the regular season. Um, and, it, you know, for whatever reason, he hasn't gotten through. I, I think, like you said, that that Toronto series, that was the one. That's the one that still eats at you, too, because, you know, they had that one. Um, I, I was watching or watching some kind of a piece on one of the Philly news stations earlier this week, and it was asking what's the most heartbreaking I, that was going to be my next question because, yeah. all, you know, the teams have had, except for really the Flyers, and I'm not really a Flyers expert. As Neither much. am I, so uh, I can't, admittedly. I can't, you know, ask you about it. But, like, in your – in the last five years, which is the team that's broken your heart the most? You know, the most yeah. devastating loss. So if we're, if we're just isolating out the loss, I'm not going to say which team has crushed me the most collectively, but – if you're ranking the losses that hurt the most, I think the Eagles Super Bowl last year, even though they finally won one last year, just hurt because that game was in hand. They were dominating. The defense was really the dominant force for most of the season too. And, you know, whether you're blaming it on the turf and the, the grass or whatever was going on and not being able to get your footing for whatever reason, they couldn't get through uh, to Patty Mahomes. Then you had that penalty at the end of the game when, when you thought Jalen was going to have a chance to, like he should have, come down and tie it and go down as, you know, maybe one of the best Super Bowls ever. Um, you know, that one was crushing. That was that for me is number one. I think that Joel, the, the, the bounce with Kawhi, I think is two for me. I, I just remember being floored and crushed after that one. The Eagles took me like a good six months to get over. I, I, I couldn't get over. I'm still not fully over it, probably. The, 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 what do they call it? The triple bounce, whatever. That's that's two for me. Three for me then is the World Series loss. That's that's coming in third. Coming in third. So so which team gets one first? Which team gets first? Because I think the Eagles. I think all, they're I think all the Eagles. in the mix. It's amazing. I, I don't want to jinx but it. You guys are like the 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 best loser. All you guys yeah. do is like lose when it gets close. Yeah, look, I don't want to jinx it, but I think the Eagles have a good chance this year. I'll say the Eagles. Um, because even if they don't get it, they got Jalen on a reasonable contract. You got A.J. Brown. You got the pieces that are going to be in place there for a while. So I think they get it done first. I think the Sixers, An like aging said before. Line, Lane Johnson's no spring chicken. Kelsey may retire. It's Yeah, but they got backups. They got Cam Jer uh, Jurgens behind uh, Kelsey coming up. He's good. He's, he's looked good. Um, their offensive line is not going to fall apart. I also wouldn't be shocked if Kelsey comes back for another year. Uh, Lane will be back. Uh, the Eagles, I think, just they're very good. They've got all the pieces in place. Um, and Howie's a cap wizard. He'll find a way to make deals and, and fix whatever uh, issues they have. Plus, you know, they, they have good draft capital going into next year, too. Um, I just like their their team organizationally more than any of these other teams. I, I think that's the key factor. And, and baseball – I would say the Phillies uh, potentially, but baseball to me is just like when you get to the playoffs, it's such a crapshoot. It's and you've seen it, right? You see Texas and you see uh, Arizona and even the Phillies. I mean, no one, everyone, the Braves are going to run through, the Dodgers are going to run through. You can be the best team in baseball all season and just um, get caught up in the momentum and go down. So I think the I think the Eagles, hopefully this year, have the best shot. Hopefully, they have the best shot. So. All right, it's so. so if so we're having this conversation, if we talk about this a year from now, the Eagles seven one, I'll be really heartbroken. You'll know that. 
Well, you know that if they suffer like a great loss in the NFC title game, we're gonna have to bring you back on. So we yeah, we'll wait a little. I, I could I could yeah. drink the tears a little bit, but right now I got nothing because yeah. you know the Knicks aren't as good as the the Sixers. I mean that gap is not like ginormous. The Giants yeah, got absolutely bum rushed by the Eagles in the playoffs last year, and now they're more likely gonna get the number one pick than win a Super Bowl anytime soon. And the New York Yankees are so incredibly (laughs) stale and mismanaged that it's just embarrassing. I don't even want to talk about them. So I need to like get my juice from you in terms of your excitement and then seeing, you know, your excitement crumble. It's like, it's amazing. (laughs) I can't crumble. Look, I, I grew up rooting for Philadelphia and and my first team that I rooted for from Philly was the, was the Phillies in, in their dreadful years um, post 93, you know, once I got to the age where I knew what I was watching, the Phillies were my favorite team, my favorite player growing up and my favorite Jersey number to this day, 17 for Scott Rowland, who just went in the hall of fame. That was my guy, but those teams were terrible. He didn't want to play for those teams and, and none of the Philly teams were winning back then. So I grew up, watching all my teams lose and I think that it makes you stronger you learn to get accustomed to the losing and when you finally win it's all the more sweet because when the Phillies won that championship in 08 there was nothing sweeter and then the Eagles come through and they get a Super Bowl and and it's like you're in heaven so for the New York fans I mean I I know the Yankees are the exception but when that when the Mets get there and the Jets get there and the Giants get back there you know this city will be rejuvenated it'll be it'll be crazy and you see that with the knicks whenever they whenever they win one playoff game and they're they're chanting that they want philly and f trey young you know that's that's all it takes is one playoff win to get the city uh, amped up side talk nyc shout out to them on Instagram. i love side talk yeah see those those guys are the best yeah no, the best. It, it, we gotta get on there we gotta get on there yeah, we gotta get on there it's you know new york and philly and boston chicago uh Pittsburgh to some degree Cleveland like we're all kind of kindred spirits because we're all damaged goods when it comes to being sports fans you know right. in some way or another and we're from cities where the weather sucks like 75% of the year so it's cold and makes us gruff and it gives us thick skin. <laughs> and it's just like, we care so much about the outcomes of our sports teams. Cause like, we can't go to the beach in January, right? Like we have to be cold, hunkered down, depressed, like, right. like scream at our significant others after like a bad loss, because like, that's just what we do. Right. Not You're the angry. Healthiest, but it is what it is. Like it's, it's, it's almost like, brothers in arms yet we can't stand each other because we have that kindred spirit for sure it's uh philly's in an interesting spot they got to get one they got to get one or else they're just the 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 best loser which is not necessarily where you want to be all right so if we had to if you had to say you say the eagles get it first eagles phillies and then the sixers if you had to put those three in order i think baseball's too finicky I think that the odds, if I had to rank them in terms of odds right now, I would put them Eagles the first to get it, then Sixers, then the Phillies, just because baseball is just so weird. And if the Sixers don't get out of round two, is, is I don't the think city going to come? 
is the city going to come for Joel Embiid's head? No, I don't think so. I, I like I said, they they've got they're going to have the second most cap space. They're going to get they're going to get a third piece, and they're going to have their pick of who the third piece is. And Daryl Morey needs to nail that. He needs to get the piece, whatever it is. And I'm sure Joel's going to have all the say in the world in terms of who that is. That piece needs to be able to gel with Maxi, and you know because Joel and Maxi have this this two man game going now. That's that's just great. You don't want to have somebody come in and take away from that. So that that move is going to translate. Uh, in terms of where the Sixers are going to go, if they're going to be the number, you know, one or two team in Philly to have a chance to win a championship, or if they're going to end up blowing it up, it's going to come down to that, that move, who the third piece is. And maybe we'll see it this year. Maybe they'll trade. Maybe they'll get somebody like Mitchell. I don't think Mitchell's the best fit, but maybe that's what they do. Um, but that's, that's the move that you got to look at. I don't think they blow it up after this year. I think Joel's in for the, in for the long run. So we're trusting the process still. Got to trust the process. Got <laughs> to trust the process. All right. Mike, this is great. Thanks so much for coming on. I know we uh, went back and forth for, you know, scheduling. Finally got it done. Going to have to have you back after a, a crushing Eagle, or I should say not even an Eagles loss, a Phillies loss. We're going to have to have your instant reaction. Like now you've signed up for it. I'm just letting you know. I'm going to hold you to it, though, because if they win, I'm coming back home for a win, too. I'm going to rub it in. Then. Fine. Because I got a lot of that coming for everybody in New York because I take it very well. When we lose – I take it very well. I don't, and, and when the New York teams lose, I don't give too much back. But well, I've you're, taken you're on enemy territory now. Like you, fine, you, you're a I've transplant. Taken enough. I've taken enough. So when we win, I'm going to give it back. Trust you that. Absolutely, you absolutely have an open invite when that happens. Good to speak sure. to you, bud. I'll speak to you later. Thanks again to my guest, Dr. Josh Shotskis, for coming on to talk about the Daniel Jones injury, what it means long-term for him and the New York Giants and the disaster that is this New York Giants season. And first-time guest, Mike Rudick for coming on, talking a little bit about Philly sports, everything that's going on in Philly. They're in an interesting time. The Philly sports history, a lot of second place finishes, a lot of close calls, but not a lot of titles. So we'll see what happens with Philly sports this year. They are definitely in the mix. Both great net guys, by the way. That's episode 230 for the love of the game. Take us out. We the wall. I just want to shine on my work. Put it on the town and it Made it to a nine and we hit. Sit the two that we call me out Pushing the point straight through the trenches Top of the food chain of the commission We working with our permission Never was pressing the way we're bending Settle down, let it settle down Couldn't tell me shit out with breath How they gon' tell me now I'm running rock out with a drum that hold a hundred pounds If it was Never change on my road dogs But that can't bend them things like we old dog. Walk up in the dealer and I pull that rose off Deep that I wouldn't make it like I told you Thank you for listening to Believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show And giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com And search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube